The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome to the Hit Me Artist Podcast. I'm Mark Lane. Follow me on Twitter at the real Mark Lane. Follow Sean on Twitter at Sean Martin NFL, where you can always join the conversation. And what's the conversation this week, Sean? Yeah, no telling where we could go. Uh, thanks again, everybody in my kayaking group last week. By the way, not only of course did we get the shout out in, but you know I shared a clip of me doing it, and they were all kind enough to you know send their thank yous for it, of course, but also reach out and start listening to the show and download the episode and you know i hear some great feedback now from some of those people just because uh, they got a quick shout out so that's pretty awesome to see and uh you know it was a cool thing last week and hopefully as we go into the regular season there'll be more things like that so sean how do you feel right now do you feel kind of like ian malcolm in jurassic park when he's sitting there in the ford explorer watching the t-rex break out of the paddock with regards to the Cowboys being royally screwed at left tackle now? I mean, we've been saying for a while now that, you know, Mike McCarthy might not be the right coach to rebuild this roster. There's a certain level of retooling and rebuilding that you go through, you know, almost every single year just by design with how this league wants to operate. So it's not like you can ever just count on, you know, being the same team or anything like that. But, of course, we all know, you know, McCarthy was brought in really in kind of that win-now type of mindset. And I kind of hate that term, you know, most of the time. But it was, in some ways, the mindset that at least the Joneses wanted you to think this team was in. You know, now it's hard to believe that they'll ever be kind of in that mode again, right, just the way this offseason has gone. But it was supposed to be, you know, set up way better than it is for him. And now the fact that, you know, at least the offensive line is one thing you could kind of hang your hat on to the point where, they weren't going to be the best in the league anymore, but you know it was good enough to let Dak Prescott go do what he does best and carry this thing. And you know the receivers were a strength. Now, of course, we've been spending all offseason talking about the receivers and how it's not a strength anymore. And are they going to be good enough? And Raiders were turning the corner to thinking that maybe they can be. Maybe Fahoko is for real because he's certainly proven that. And Tolbert's going to keep progressing. And CDLM is ready to step in. Just as we start to talk ourselves into the passing game having, you know, just enough to get by. The offensive line is in such samples that I don't know if it's going to matter. So when you put those two things together, you know, Dak Prescott probably probably feels like the T-Rex is about to uh, break into his Jeep right there. Yeah, Dak Prescott's probably the one that's uh, in the first car that the kids were in 
and uh, maybe the Joneses were like the lawyer who ran and hid, because uh, that's kind of what they did with all the salary cap space and pie talk and all that. It really looks dumb now, and we'll talk about it maybe a little bit more in the podcast about what you would have done differently if you could go back to March of 2022. Um, But it really does look ill-advised that they got rid of Lyle Collins just because of, quote, half-ass availability, unquote. That's a Jerry Jones term from the opening press conference of training camp this year. It does, you know, and, you know, we'll talk more about that. And, you know, there's also the Connor Williams decision that can be brought back up in terms of, you know, is it the right time to move on from him, knowing that was immediately going to create another need on a roster where you had so many other needs, but you felt like that was the one that you go address in the first round. And now they're trying to backpedal and say, well, oh, you know, he can also be our tackle, Tyler Smith, of course. And, you know, we know his, his tape, at Tulsa playing tackle leaves a lot to be desired. So, yeah, this offensive line is just such a state of disarray. You know, it's so bad that I had a draft of an article written before I watched the Seahawks game because I watched it not live but a little bit after about how the strength of this offensive line on the interior you might be able to help them through some things and you can play the musical chairs there if Smith does go out to tackle to feel better about how you are on the interior. But, Man, then I put on the Seahawks game, and I'm watching these quarterbacks just have no chance because you know guys like Oliver Cohn and Avion Collins, even out there at right tackle, and Braylon Jones just getting beat, you know, within a second or two off the snap, and made it really hard at certain points throughout that game to evaluate the offense and have a lot of drives stall out on some third and shorts that you should have been able to pick up. So, yeah, even the interior has its issues. Of course, we know you know Tyler Biotis and Zach Martin is a pretty good center right guard combo. But everything else is a big question right now. Yeah. Um, so with Tyron Smith, he's expected to be back in December, right? Correct. Okay. Well, here's – I don't know if you want to call it a hot take or what. but I actually don't think it's that big of a deal relative to – the Cowboys repeating as NFC East champions. Is that based on confidence in Tyler Smith or just very Dustin? Based on this. You go back to Tyron Smith only played two games. And then Dak Prescott was lost in week, week five against the Giants. Andy Dalton, Ben DiNucci, Garrett Gilbert, they all started – in in the absence of Prescott, they did not have the benefit of Ty, of <laughs> Tyler Tyron Smith. They instead got Brandon Knight or whatever they threw out there at left tackle. And yet they came within a game of winning the NFC East. And that's because why? Well, the NFC East was garbage. And aside from Philadelphia... Who do you think is going to dethrone Dallas as the NFC East champs this year? And that's what I mean. This first five games that had Tyron Smith or not were going to be difficult because you get Tom Brady defending AFC champions, and then your fifth game is the defending Super Bowl champions, the Rams. 
and then you have two um, NFC East games against opponents in the Giants were really just starting to ramp up under Brian Dayball. Uh, Washington, who you pretty much know in their quarterback situation, and Chase Young's going to miss that game as well. So, really, after that, you've got Philadelphia, Detroit, Chicago, bye week, Green Bay, Minnesota, New York on Thanksgiving, and then you get to December, and you've got one, two, three, four, five, six games left. And if Tyron Smith is back and healthy, you, you're you still in play to make the playoffs. Maybe even, like I said, repeat as division champions. So, and like I said, in 2020, they didn't have Smith, and they had a backup quarterback. Not even Dak Prescott. They almost won it because of how trash the division was. So, like I said, relative to punching a ticket to the playoffs, I still think Dallas can do it. Don't you just hate basing that on, you know, what other teams are doing, though? Like, that just discredits, you know, all that the Cowboys have done wrong to put them in this situation, though, you know? I feel like you're basing that on, you know, oh, the Eagles haven't improved enough to really be a threat to you. But, you know, we don't know these things. They're surprise teams every year. The Bengals were a surprise Super Bowl team that you get to see in just a couple of weeks here now. So, you know, you're going to deal with that type of thing. And I think to sit here and say, and it might not work out for the Eagles. I'm not, you know, there was a big time hype, you know, going on for that team right now. I'm certainly not there with them yet, but, you know, it might not work out, but I, I hate to sit back and say, well, that's the only way they're going to win a division. If it doesn't work out, you know, go beat the Eagles at their best because you're actually prepared to not only win the NFC East this year, but, you know, go take another step in the playoffs. Cause that's why this current coaching staff is here. And, you know, it's why Prescott's in the prime of his career and should be surrounded by way more talent than he has. The receiver thing is one thing, like I said, but to put him out there behind this offensive line just feels, you know, so wrong, especially when the Cowboys are no stranger to wasting the careers of all these prime players. And Tyron is right on the cusp of being added to that list of, you know, and even Zach Martin will be, we could be talking that way in a couple of years, not to be too pessimistic on that, of course, but, you know, cause he has, he hasn't missed too many games, anything like that. Martin, but, you know, we know Romo and some of these quarterbacks and other players and Des Bryant are all great players that deserve so much better. And, you know, you don't, you don't want to be having that conversation with Prescott. Joey's said things along those, you know, that tone ever since he didn't get a Super Bowl for Romo. And, you know, it doesn't have to be this year for Prescott, of course, but you'd like to at least feel like this year could be a building block off of making the playoffs but losing that first game last year and now. You know, we're talking almost like best case scenario is that they at least make the playoffs and then we'll just see from there. But you, know, you kind of want more than that. Right. Well, the NFL is an ecosystem, so you kind of do have to include some of the other teams and what you're doing. But relative to just the Cowboys, that's what I was saying is in 2020, they were a game away and they didn't even have Dak Prescott and they had Brandon Knight and Cam Irving at left tackle. And like Bill Parcell said, you can hide a tackle. And I think they'll be able to hide whoever they've got at left tackle. Um, the problem is they it's kind of like the 2020 situation, though, in that you're probably going to go with some real inexperience at left tackle. So, you know... That, that's kind of 
where the problem lies is at what they have done with the tackle situation. And that just leads me to really ask this question. Um, do you think the Cowboys, do you think they're really trying this year? Here's what I mean by that. Of course, they're going to, they intend to go out and win every ball game. I'm not saying that. I'm saying this feels like a reloading type of year. This feels like the type of year where they wanted to just kind of clear the books a little bit, get rid of some cap space, and just really, you know, draft some dependable guys, which they did, I would say, in their 2022 draft class. And really they're staking everything on this window of 23 and 24. It just kind of seems that way, just with the weird moves or none moves that they've made this year. Well, you'd hate to say that last year's team was, you know, the all-in version of the Cowboys that we might see another year or two down the line as they step back from it because it didn't work and then go for it again because Jerry kind of hinted at that right after the game. He was like, oh, this one particularly stings because, you know, when you have this collection of players, you know it doesn't always last and you have to get the results. But we knew this team had flaws. And once you started watching the 49ers on tape a little bit, you knew, you knew that they were kind of uniquely built to, you know, go attack what the Cowboys were struggling with for much of the second half of the season. And so you didn't make that adjustment. And, you know, that's why you lost right there in the wild card game at home. You know, things like inconsistent offense, of course, and the run defense, all of that was on full display. So you'd hate to say that version of the team was, you know, as close as they're going to come, not only for these coaches who have the jobs in the line because of that, but, you know, a lot of players that they're counting on that are unproven right now, but they're going to get valuable starts and snaps this year to try to make something of it. So, you know, looking back at my notes from the Seahawks game, I tried to pull out a couple of positives to show that the Cowboys are trying, or at least what they're trying to bank on, whether or not it's going to work, we'll find out very soon. But of course, the defense continuing to make takeaways is pretty astounding. They just have a knack for it. It's an institutional thing of Dan Quinn at this point where everybody is just hunting for the ball. It's really amazing to see. So the four interceptions, you love to see Israel McClamu not only get one, but then he had an injury scare and he bounced back from it and all reports that he's fine, so he'll be ready for Tom Brady in the Bucks as a player who's taken the ball away twice this preseason, once against the Seahawks. Uh, the first snap of the game, you have to love Matt Farniak was the fullback uh, for Malik Davis, who's a fan favorite, trying to sneak him on the roster running back right now. I, I would sort of like to see him stay. You know, More on that as we get into our next topic here, but you know, Farniak's a guy they can get creative with as opposed to just being a backup guard or center if somebody goes down. And then the concepts on offense, you know, we know the starters haven't been out there. We know they're going to play better, of course, when Prescott and I am and Schultz and all those guys are out there. But when you have backups in there, you're really just looking at the concepts to give you a hint of what they might do when those starters play. And so I like that, you know, they were trying to take shots down the field after turnovers, get the big plays, stretch the field. It didn't really work because of protection and who was throwing the ball and the receivers. But you, know, you could take those shot plays to a lamb or a gallop later on moving pocket stuff to make up for this offensive line and get these tight ends involved, I thought was pretty good. The tight ends and the running backs. And then defensively, again, Sam Williams has played a ton of snaps this preseason. It's looked really good. So he seems like, even as a second-round pick, he's ready to contribute right away. And defensive end, such a deep position that you, know, you add just one more name like Williams, and that could be a group good enough to almost single-handedly win you some games if you play with the lead and 
defense takes over and the pass rush gets going, you're going to need that against Brady, of course, too. So, yeah, there were some positives there as far as how they think they can win these games, but it does feel like we've seen before that the Cowboys operate on a very thin margin to win as opposed to having creative ways to adjust and find new ways to win. This might be the thinnest yet under almost any of the Garrett years and the McCarthy years. So that doesn't bode well, but, you know, there is a path towards how this team can stay in contention, not just in a weak NFC East, but in the conference as a whole. No, I, I got to say 2018 is the thinnest. To, to me, that's just the thinnest that it, that of the margins uh, Garrett and McCarthy is included. I'm trying to think back on like exactly how that team. Well, they didn't have a receiving core. That's like number one. But they they then, kind of addressed that Travis on. Frederick. I mean, that the, you know, they kind of changed that, of course. Yeah, but that, to me, like starting out week one, that's thinnest. Yeah, that that Carolina game was painful. Yeah. Painful about it was just like how they were in the muck of being unable to move the ball like Carolina. It was just I thought this was you know supposed to be some great offense or whatever. All right, whatever. Um, but uh, yeah, it just like you said, they're operating with on, on thin margins, and that's just the feeling you get. You don't get the all-in feeling with this roster, with this team. It's why I've been saying they're in maybe-win-now mode. Yeah, there's certain franchises. We talked a little baseball during our Twitter spaces uh, on Sunday here, and you know we did some baseball talk, and there's certain franchises throughout sports where they feel like, I don't, and, you know, you never know how true this, type, this kind of thing is, but I've always found this topic interesting. Uh, certain franchises that feel like they can't, ever, you know, completely just tear the roster down. They always have to have this mask of, like, we're kind of trying, you know, and you're still going to go for your cap space recycles and players getting older from your core and all that. So it's not feasible that you can always be in contention, but you can never just tear it down and say, you know, almost admit, which, of course, the Cowboys won't do either, you know, admit that you're not going for it type of thing and say, oh, this year was just about really seeing a lot of really young players and then we're just going to, slowly build this thing up as opposed to like making the one move that burns everything down or you know not having all your chips in the middle of the table so the Cowboys are squarely one of those franchises my baseball team the Yankees is one of them as well you know I never hear that about the Cubs when they were terrible not even when the Cubs are good but those bad Cubs teams were still sell out Wrigley Field so it's like you know do they really have the incentive to change much or get a whole lot better if the product is still putting fans in the stands and I know for a fact people ask the same thing about the Cowboys with their whole image and persona and being worth $8 billion, you know, how much do the Joneses care about winning? And I do think it's enough to, you know, answer some of the questions that this roster currently has where they might be good enough, but certainly there's some glaring holes that they should have done a whole lot more about. And they're still going to be pressed about that as to, you know, in-season interviews uh, go on. Yeah. And I, I, I don't really, you know, this is probably a, for a podcast during the off season, but I've often wondered if the Cowboys are actually an ambassador brand for the NFL and they go out into other institutions and areas of society to market the NFL. Here's what I mean by that, Sean, is Jerry did an interview on the fan from August the 27th 
2021. So, you know, the same time last year. And he said, quote, I want to be everywhere we can be with Cowboys. If you were in an architectural magazine or an art magazine, wherever, I would like something to be noted or some subject uh, part of the Cowboys to be noted in that magazine. That doesn't mean that everybody in those disciplines are going to be fans of the Cowboys, but at least they know we're there and interested. And when Thanksgiving comes around, they're eating that Thanksgiving turkey and they look up and say, well, I remember that team being noted in my house communications. I'm just going to be interested in that team. It's a way of creating interest, and I do want that, unquote. And so, really, that's what I mean, is just when you look at the Cowboys from the terms of winning ball, winning championships, for goodness sakes, these moves don't make sense. But if you look at the Cowboys in terms of the NFL as a business and all 32 teams are, are, you know, franchises of the business and that Jerry Jones is a great marketer, he's probably doing a lot more for the NFL with Cowboys than he is for Cowboys fans with Cowboys. It's all fine and great to, you know, try to reach anywhere you can to pull in fans, even with just a common interest or, anything like that, but the, you know, especially Cowboys fans, I'm saying this from Texas, you know, and moving here and feeling firsthand for the last year and a half or so, what football means to this place has been amazing. So the biggest slice of fans is always going to be the ones that truly care about the on-field product. I don't think there's any doubt. It's why, you know, around the NFL, no matter what team's fan base you're talking about, in regards to actually caring about the game, the games do mean so much and they're the most watched, you know, thing on television and it's everything for the NFL. So that's always going to be, be the biggest slice of Cowboys fans. So, you know, that Jerry quote might be on the left. And then I know Steven on the right has mentioned, you know, Hey, we do have some pressure to win because, you know, all these things that get us out in front of people are great, but there was a big generation of Cowboys fans, you know, around my age and then a little bit younger who, can't connect with those 90s teams anymore. So every time we bring up that this is a historic winning franchise, you know, it, it doesn't resonate. There are fans that are established at this point that only know us as a team that underachieves. And today's, you know, sports microwave society where it's not uncommon to change teams or bounce around or bandwagon, and ride the hot hand, any of these things, you know, you could all lose some of those fans that way. So, yeah, they do want to win, you know, the whole how much the Joneses care discussion is entirely separate podcast if we ever wanted to do that but there is pressure on this team to put you know a better on-field product than at the very least they had last year but that's a big question just by the names that we've been beating in people's heads you know we know the Amari Coopers and, and Connor Williams just aren't here anymore but the other names that they've had to replace them you know in some cases it seems that they made the right choice and all these rookie draft picks are looking good and another situation is just a black hole where you know it's a weakness that other teams can attack, and it's going to be really hard to win games because of that in some of these situations. Indeed. And, you know, that's why it just, like I said, it, it just doesn't make sense. Because there's some teams that they're garbage and they got to rebuild and you understand. But there's other times where it's just like, here are the resources. You could literally do it like everybody, like, these select teams that have done it just, what is the deal? Why, why is it not manifesting? But um, 
that's just the way it is for Cowboys fans right now, Sean. Let me ask you this, though. The Cowboys have got to get to 53 men on their active roster by 3 p.m. Central Time on Tuesday. So what two players, one on offense, one on defense, do you want to see the Cowboys keep, whether they are on the active roster, 53-man, or they sneak through and get on the practice squad just as long as they're with the organization? Who do you want to see? So on offense, I am riding the Moeek Davis train. It took longer than usual this offseason, but it's an annual Cowboys tradition that I love where the fan base and the media like us alike all get attached to a player that is on every roster around the NFL. You know, you're down the roster. Skill guy who's good enough to make your team, but every team has the type of guy where you all worry that, oh, they can't possibly lose him, even though you have his replacement. And to be fair to Malik Davis, he has been very good, though. But, yeah, there was a hype train building for him. The stick on here is potentially even RB3 and unseat Rico Dowdle, which I don't know if he's done quite enough yet. I think he's on the level with Dowdle, but they value that you know experience that he has, and that's going to make it harder for Davis to be anything but a practice squad slash RB4 type of role. But 31 carries this preseason, 132 yards and a touchdown. Some of his best runs came behind Tyler Smith when he was out left guard, so you like to see that because he's a power back. Smith is a power blocking run blocking type of player. So if he is playing at guard this season, you know, they want to get back to that with Ezekiel Elliott as the bell cow, of course. So Malik Davis was was encouraging all preseason. He can catch the ball well out of the backfield. You don't hear about many UDFAs who took a pre-draft visit with the team, but that's exactly what Davis did with the Cowboys. He was a pre-draft visit. And, you know, somewhere along the way, they said, hey, you know, if I'll eat a round pick, we, we're certainly going to be interested in you because we took the time to bring you out here. And Turns out the Cowboys didn't even have to throw a pick at him because no other team took that chance on a running back out of Florida. And so they were able to get him as a UDFA, even though he was a 30 visit. And hopefully he finds a way to uh, still be a part of this roster. For me on offense, um, I'd like to see Peyton Hendershot stay with the organization. I think that, you know, the release of Jeremy Sprinkle pretty much guarantees it but still I don't want to see them get too crafty and try to sneak him on to the practice squad or something and then he gets signed to somebody's um active roster I think they should go ahead and do it and crown him you know and have four tight ends on the roster and go lean at some other position maybe three with running back um but just to try to get Hendershot on the roster because I think that he could help you have that effective, the next generation, if you will, of Blake Jarwin and Dalton Schultz. I think you could get that with Jake Ferguson and Peyton Hendershot. And it, but it just takes the commitment of putting him on the roster. And Jake Ferguson has looked like the guy who can be your you know, more than a serviceable two to Dalton Soltz. Soltz is going to catch a thousand passes this year. I mean, go ahead and draft him in your fantasy leagues. This is what he did in Oxnard and the way this offensive line breaks down and Prescott's going to have to look for him. Soltz is going to be a huge part of this offense, both on scripted plays and those unscripted scramble drill type of plays. And Ferguson has made those catches as well. He gets up the field pretty well, run after the catch ability. You'll have to see with him, of course. 
you know, a receiver, you have that in CDIM, so you'll have to see it in Ferguson, Salts as well. So you have those two, and then behind that, you still want to keep that pass-catching ability. They opted not to keep, you know, the pure blocking tight end type of player in Sprinkle, and if that means that Hendershot, another receiving threat, gets to stick around. And you know, they've made a clear commitment that they want to throw the ball to these tight ends and get them more involved. So all the way through with Salts, Ferguson, and Hendershot, you can achieve that with, you know, three pretty talented players. Who's your defensive guy? So my guy, this one is tough because he's played so well, but the position is so deep that if you do keep him, it's like, when are we ever going to play you? But, you know, you can never have too much depth at certain spots. And if you've, if you've played well enough to earn the spot, then why not? So Mike DeFua at defensive end didn't stand out as much against the Seahawks, but he was out there defensively and on special teams in all three preseason games. His best plays came against the Chargers. I mean, the Chargers had Chase Daniel, a veteran quarterback, out there playing the garbage time snaps of that game. And Tafu was still playing at 200% speed, just coming after Daniel on the edge. He's, he batted down on consecutive passes. And I just remember Daniel throwing his arms up like, who is this guy? You know, can't they take it easy on me as a vet? This like in a preseason game. Why is this guy still playing like an animal out here? But, of course, Dan Quinn looks for that and all of his defenders, so Tafua fits in well, but, you know, where do you play him over a Dorch Armstrong, a Parsons, a Sam Williams, who already has the inside edge as a second-round pick? That's a question for them to answer. I would just say that, you know, I'd like to see Tafua get some more time to develop here because he certainly plays at that to use and come off the edge with a good amount of speed and even stand up and play a little linebacker if you need him to. Who I'd like to see the Cowboys keep is – Marquise Bell. Is it a stretch to say that I I didn't include Bell on this just because I thought he was going to be a lock the whole time? I know some fans have thought that as far as like, oh, he's already here. I wasn't there with that, you know, when they got to Oxnard. But, yeah, he's definitely he proved pretty quickly that those fans were almost right about him just being a lock by the time he got here. And Tyler Coy was a guy who was going to play some special teams that can keep him and all that in safety with McQuamu deserving a ton more snaps. But, yeah, Bell certainly seems like he's here, and you know, I can see why you'd want him to. Uh, yeah, to now again, I think he's someone that it might take a little trickery, and you sneak him on your practice squad, keep him in your building, um, but he's always at risk of being signed off of your practice squad onto somebody's 53, but there are limitations when it comes to that because I think they have to keep them and pay them for three weeks. Uh, before they can either let them go or stash them on their own practice squad. But in, with defensive backs, it seems like that's always a position that's being poached. Um, so that that's kind of the risk. But if Marquise Bell, I would just like – because, again, you mentioned Tyler Coyle. He's someone that I think if he could be in the system, but that's also the risk – to him personally is yeah everything's great with Dan Quinn and you got Joe Witt and you know what's going on but next year what if it's a new coaching staff new defensive coordinator even and now they don't really value what you bring to the table and now you got to learn a different system or try to find a new role and it kind of messes with your development a bit but pending that everything is Dan Quinn Marquise Bell, I would like to see stay in the organization somehow, develop, 
and then become the new J. Ron Curse. Yeah, the Cowboys have a surplus at this interesting role that they created, that nickel position for Curse. I mean, McQuamu has looked so good there. Deron Bland can even play it a little bit. But I think his best value to Bland is shown as a fifth-round pick and outplaying that round by a mile is, is, you know, his man coverage on the outside. So that's more valuable than the nickel spot. But Jordan Lewis has played it before. Anthony Brown can do some of those types of things. But that big physical player in there that can play against the run is important. And you have that in uh, Bell and Curse. So you can see those two together. And this Cowboys run defense could be much improved. They've already been improved from where they were last year because you're better at defensive tackle up front. But, you know, as you get into the meaningful games here and you have to prove that you can stop the run, he's a player that can certainly step up. All right. Given what we know now, if you go back in time to the dawn of free agency, the start of the new league year, I guess 48 hours before that because of the non-tampering period or legal tampering period. Um, One of the worst terms in sports. Yeah. Um, You go back in time. What would you have done differently with this roster? What moves would you have made? with this roster I'm talking free agency the draft everything what would you have done differently knowing what we know now so my biggest thing is still the offensive line that's still just such a weakness for this team right now that's going to be so difficult to overcome so my two moves would be re-signing Connor Williams because I think you know at least you know exactly what you're getting in him and right now in this moment more than ever this doesn't look like the offseason where you could have gotten away from a move like that any other year or again, you're just trying to retool for a championship run, you can say, hey, Connor Williams is a weak point. The rest of this roster is strong. That's where we need to upgrade, so we're going to move on, and then we'll be able to look for the upgrade, which is what they thought Tyra Smith was when they drafted him, expecting Tyron Smith to be able to play tackle next to him. Of course, none of that's happening right now, so the fact that I opened up another need on this roster by not re-signing Connor Williams thinking they could get that addressed and still feel good enough at receivers, still get some tackle depth in here, which they didn't do, though, and fix everything else that was going on. They haven't proven that they've done that just yet. You know, Smith does get the play guard. I think he will be a noticeable improvement over Williams. Not you know, major, but he will be better in that regard. The penalties he can cut back on. But it seems like you know he's on path to already step in as a tackle, and that still just leaves you with the exact same question that you asked yourself when you were making a decision to bring back Williams or not, and it's who do we have at left guard. So, you know, you have a player like Terrence Steele out there, right tackle. He's been put on ice this preseason, only played 15 snaps. Is he is he already the type of player where you don't need to see more from him? You know, that's the state of this offensive line right now where you know, Terrence Steele is an established enough player to the point where they like his game enough to say he doesn't need work in the preseason. So if you can drop the standard that low, a right tackle, you know, what's the situation going to be like a guard of a Connor McGovern or a Farniak or wherever they go? And then how does it play out at left tackle? Just so many questions to answer and not a lot of time to do it for an offensive line. I could have had the option and just bring back, you know, a consistent starter at left guard. So my other move would have been, of course, trying to get some tackle depth in here. I was just looking through some of the free agent deals that got signed and the two that I wrote down, you know, veteran Morgan Moses signed a three-year, $15 million deal. With the Ravens, that's you know a price tag, and it, that would interest me. If I were the Cowboys, I'd think that Jermaine Effetti on a one-year deal was available uh, for the Falcons. So those are just two examples of 
ways that you could have got more tackle depth in here to feel better about this whole musical chairs. Tyler Smith doesn't have to go out and start his first ever game at left tackle uh, situation that they find themselves in. I think that I would have kept Lyle Collins because um, it eroded the depth at tackle by letting him get out of the building. I can understand frustrations when it comes to Mari <clears throat> Cooper, um, but I don't really – for Lyle Collins, I just – unless there was something where he absolutely wanted to stay the starter and would not accept that he was going to get beat out by Terrence Steele, I would have tried to keep Lyle Collins just to have the tackle depth just on the basis of Tyron Smith has not played – a complete season since 2016, 2015. And it's not been because he sat in a preseason, I mean, a week 17 type of situation. It wasn't a, a rest type thing. All the games he missed from 2016 on have been injury related. Now, maybe I think in week 17 against the Giants on December the 30th, 2018, that might have, he might have sat out for rest for that one. Okay, but all the other seasons, he's missed time, and it's uh, it's bitten him. It was really uh, pronounced last year when he missed time. I mean, it's hurt the offense. So I that that's one move that I would have made, is I would have made sure that tackle was taken care of. Eh, Connor Williams can go to – Miami because he's frankly got a target on his back now by every officiating crew in the NFL. Because if not them, then by the opposing coaches. You know, I think Belichick's going to say with Connor Williams in Miami, two times a year they play him, that he's going to point out Connor Williams doing something. Of course he is. Um, so he's just, he's got a target on his back. Uh, so I think that what they've done with guard I don't know. It's, it is what it is, but the tackle situation is just unacceptable because you already know about Tyron Smith. Receiver, I think that just it's not like it was in 2018, so I think that it's just going to come along throughout the season. But it's really, for me, the offensive line. I I would have made moves to try to shore that up a little bit, and I can't believe – that they thought Matt Willetsko and Josh Ball counted as shoring it up. Yeah, Ball's best play, you know, which is kind of frustrating, his best snaps his preseason, though, have been that run-blocking ability. And I'm not saying that's the last thing you ask him to tackle, but you know, I don't know if just schematically they can do enough with, you know, him out there and then Smith being a great run-blocker or left guard. You know, that gives you a little bit of hope that maybe you can, you know, get those guys out in space and get them on the second level and, you know, now we're talking about that being the identity of this offense along with Martin doing the same out there at right guard. But certainly you need a left tackle that can hold up in pass protection. That's just been an adventure for Josh Ball. I mean, the feet just do not move well enough. The hands are inconsistent. and you know He gives up that edge pretty quickly sometimes. So that's not conducive to a you know Prescott being able to really make anything of a play. Whether he's trying to step up or roll out, you can't have that immediate pressure off the left side. So that's where they're going to be looking for either Ball or Tyler Smith to uh, sort that up. It could be trouble 
I think that they'll get through it. I think that they'll still be good enough to compete for the NFC East. But relative to their Super Bowl hopes, and I don't know if I clarified this earlier when we had this discussion. Yeah, relative to winning the NFC East, I mean, sorry, NFC Championship game, yeah, they're in trouble because their seeding has probably taken a hit. But relative to winning the NFC East, I think they can get it done. I think that they're plenty capable of getting that seventh seed equal participation birthday cake a wild card spot that they've got now per conference. So I don't think that January wise, this is really going to be that big of a deal and they can get through it. But relative to, you know, someone that uh, was born in the mid to late nineties, like you, Sean, seeing them play in the NFL's final four. Yeah. I don't know about that. Just feels so wrong to base any of our hope to see on. Well, the teams you see twice a year aren't good. Like and that, that is the case, and you can throw in the Bears game now. You know we should have a nice defensive advantage against, but they're rolling out a receiver. But Justin Fields is all good this preseason, so maybe he can make something of that. You know he deserves better, much like Prescott deserves better with what he's rolling with right now going into this Tampa Bay game. So, you know, yes, you do have the advantage against some of these quarterbacks, especially the ones you see twice in a division all of that, but it just feels like a low point to have to go there for what this Cowboys team could be as opposed to saying, oh, this this team goes beyond just a weak NFC East. They transcend that, and they're a true NFC contender. You know, we felt that way for a short time last year, but that feels like forever ago because it wasn't even at the part of the year that mattered. It wasn't like you went into that 49ers game saying, oh, they're far and away the better team. They're the home team with all this. You know, you felt like the Niners were prime to get that upset win. It's exactly what they did. And ever since then, we've only really felt worse about this team. So who knows where it's going to go. You know, we're going to find out very soon. But the offensive line is the one group where, you know, how they play right from the jump here could transcend into, you know, exactly how they're going to be going forward. You know, receiver, we know we're going to see some different versions of that. We're going to see how they work without Gallup and James Washington. And we're going to see both those guys get out there and, and they can move some parts around as well. So, yeah, they have time to – play with some different things in the lineup. But what you see on the offensive line against the Bucks is, you know, it could make or break your entire season almost based on what we see there. And if it's unfixable, you know, to, hate to use that word, but if it's just not at a point where you feel like you can do much about it, I don't think they're in a position this season where they can, put, you know, say, oh, it didn't work against Tampa, but, you know, week three at the Giants, it'll be fine. And I, I don't think they have the depth to pull that off or anything. I think they do, though, because there's Micah Parsons and Trayvon Diggs, and there's Daniel Jones. So that's what I mean, is I think that because of how good this defense is against bad teams, average teams, they're going to come up with those big plays, short field position, that it's going to mask all that. Like I said, I mean, that's it, is they're going to – Oh, how do I explain this? They're basically going to be the bullies, okay? But when they get in the ring with real contenders, I I don't think that they built their roster out and they'll get found out. That that's what I'm saying. It feels, I mean, that feels like the same way that they went through last season. The only difference is we didn't see it coming as much. You know, last year was this roller coaster of oh they're playing so well, and then as they snuck into the playoffs. 
you know, kind of limping away there. We said, oh, maybe they'll find that for him again. And it wasn't there. But this year, you know, it feels like just the inevitable is that they'll start playing the season in kind of the form that they finished last year in hopes that it gets better late in the year, which is when you do want to be playing your best. And maybe if we really look at this thing through blue and silver tinted glasses, then Tyrant Smith is even working his way back at that point. But they have a long way to go to prove that, you know, they're going to get anywhere in that point where Smith would even consider coming back to a team that is either in contention or not. All right, well, on that happy note, let's get to some Cowboys birthdays. On Monday, turning 41 years old, Jay Ratliff, he played with Dallas from 2005 to 2012, and he was really a a beast, despite being undersized as a nose tackle in Wade Phillips' 3-4 defense. On Tuesday, Darren Hambrick played linebacker for Dallas from 98 to 2001. He turns 47. He's most famous for... 2001 offseason when he said what do voluntary mean when the Dallas media asked him why he had missed OTAs amid an ongoing contract dispute with the Cowboys on Wednesday Jordan Lewis cornerback turns 27 years old also on Wednesday Joe Looney turns 32 years old he's with Dallas from 2016 to 2020 and he started all 16 games at center in 2018 in place of the All-Pro Travis Frederick, and then on Sunday, Terrence Newman, cornerback, played with Dallas from 2003 to 2011. He turns 44 years old, and those are your Cowboys' birthdays. What do you think, Sean? There's a Mike Zimmer quote out there with Terrence Newman where it's like something along the lines of, you know, you can find a cover two corner anywhere, so that's why we don't draft him high, but you also didn't have to draft one because, you know, Terrence Newman went on to the Vikings there and played forever and never aged the team, just had that cover two roll down. So I remember him doing that with the Cowboys for many years as well, along with, you know, Jordan Lewis being uh, this year's player on that list, a guy who got through a bit of an injury scare in training camp and now will be ready in the, uh, for the opener against Brady. And you don't want to oversell this defense just yet. Of course, the expectation is very high and the talent level is there to match it. But you, know, you really do feel like this is the defense that can keep you in the game against Brady, but you have to do something on offense, of course. But this defense, it is a great offense they're going up against, and we know Brady had a game-winning drive against them just last year in the same type of game to open the season. With the pass rushers they have coming in waves and this secondary at full strength, it's uh, definitely a defense prime to give some really good quarterbacks some fits. We know they're going to see some bad quarterbacks, or at least not as good as Prescott, and that's their hope in this division between the Eagles and Washington and the Giants, but when you see Brady and Burrow back-to-back to start, you better be ready, and I feel like Quinn has the pieces to be ready for this. Yep, he certainly has the pieces, and we'll see what pieces they have on Tuesday when they cut down to the 53-man roster. Uh, Sean, I'm sorry, RJ Ochoa and Tony Casillas will have that and more on the 750, which you can find on the Blog and the Boys Podcast Network. I'll also be on the BTB Roundtable and, you know, just take all kinds of – take one for the team and say that they haven't talked enough about Long Snapper so the other participants can have other topics to talk about when it comes to the roster. You know, just stuff like that. But it's always fun, and that will be on YouTube and Facebook and wherever you can find it at blogandtheboys.com. And we'll try this week to get the uh, pork roll sandwich knocked out, Sean. 
this would be a great week to do it because I have plans at some point this week to try a place here in Austin called Hoboken uh, Pie Co., I believe. Let me make sure I got the name right. It definitely has Hoboken in the name. Yeah, Hoboken Pie, which is a New Jersey town. So if they're making, you know, whether the owners are from Hoboken or what the deal is as far as how this place connects back home for me, uh, I'll find out. But obviously there's some Jersey tie here, which means the pizza should be up to New Jersey standards, I hope. So if I get to try that and a pork roll, I can see sandwich in the same week. Man, that's a hell of a week. Oh, it will be. And what a great lead in it will be to the 2022 NFL season. So there it is.